Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. This episode is sponsored by Bear Pro and PPG. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, we host guest Jason Paris. Jason is the founder of Paris Painting, a residential painting company based in Minneapolis that does over $10 million in annual revenue. Jason discusses the many struggles he has encountered while building Paris painting from zero to over $10 million per year and the character traits he possesses that he believes allowed him to succeed. He also provides some very insightful thoughts about the future of the painting industry and why he currently considers painting to be a hidden gem for ambitious entrepreneurs. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Jason, thanks for joining us on the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast, man. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about Paris Painting, your background, kind of how, how this whole thing came to be. Yeah, so Paris Painting is a company I started in 2012 with a paintbrush and a dream. And uh, it took five years to get to a million dollars top line revenue. And so those first two years were just part-time. I didn't start doing it full-time until 2014. Uh, but in the subsequent five years, we went from 1 million to $8.3 million. Wow. And then along the way, we, we bought a couple other companies. We started a holdings, holdings branch and... Uh, grew beyond just $8 million of painting revenue. Um, Yeah, that's a little bit of the background of what we've started with. And then I painted in college. So I went to the Google gods and said, college summer job and top hit that day was a company (laughs) called College Pro Painters. And so my destiny was set at that moment by Sergey Brin. Uh, And um that's kind of history from there. So I painted for a few years in college, uh, graduated, went to the corporate world, graduated with a degree in economics from the University of Minnesota and went to work for automatic data processing, um, being a, for what they called us, but it was basically a glorified B2B sales rep. Did that for about 13 months. And then, uh, had a, well, didn't really convince my wife, just had a brief conversation with my, my wife and said, this is, not life-giving. Uh, 
it is nice to have a steady paycheck. It's, and they treat me well and I treat them well, but um, I've got that entrepreneurial spirit, like, you know, and I think there's only one way to solve this. And uh, she was like, phenomenal, supportive spouse, follow your dreams, follow your passion. Let's do it. And uh, that's how I got started, man. That's amazing. Yeah. The, uh, that itch doesn't go away. I don't think it goes away. It, in anything in life. Yeah. Right? It's like, as an entrepreneur, you like, you want to like drive, 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 and you're never satisfied. That's something I realized where uh, I was like doing some things to my yard and like cutting some trees down, trying to improving the view. And my wife said something, uh, said maybe after, like, maybe after you take those ones down or you clean this up, I think you'll be satisfied. And I just, I kind of paused for a second because the concept of being satisfied never crossed my mind. That's really funny. Like, you're just, like the, the concept of you ever will be satisfied. Like you're just going to like manically want to drive and improve things forever. Yeah. Like, type type A to it. Yeah. To you're a never T. satisfied. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse it allows you to yeah. accomplish a lot, but you never get to fully reap the reward because you're always looking find at the a, Gotta find some healthy outlets to, uh, to pour your passion into. Yeah. Well, yeah. Prior to, uh, to us starting this recording, you you mentioned you're going to do a hundred mile race, conduct Ironmans, jump into freezing tubs. Yeah. Seems like you got a lot, a lot of outlets that you, you got going find on. A healthy it. outlet, man. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> drive everyone crazy. And and uh, you know we've got a great team here at Paris Painting. I'm not involved in the day to day outside of a board level um, anymore. So. I used to work super hard in the painting company and it was my outlet, my passion to do a bunch of stuff. It's grown, it's thrived and succeeded for not just myself, but a lot of others involved partially because of my, I'll call it humbleness to step away. Uh, yeah. But then you need other outlets to, to pour that passion into. Right? Got you it. can't get to, you're not going to get to the office and grind at, at five o'clock. You know, you can just wake up and go run in the dark at negative 10 degrees at five o'clock. Yeah. I, I love it, man. It's negative it's, 10 in Minnesota. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the intensity is there. So I want to, I want to kind of, I'm probably jumping the gun a little bit, but that's okay. You went from 1 million to 8.3 million. So it took you five years. And I know two of those were part-time to go from zero to 1 million. And I'm sure you learned, learned a lot there. And then 1 million the to 8.3. Way. The hard way. Okay. Can you kind of talk about how those first five years and then the next five years sort of differ because one to 8.3, that's obviously that's massive, massive growth. Not that zero to one isn't. Yeah. They're, they're different types of growth for sure. Right. There's a, there's a real difference between founding a company and building the foundation uh, to perfecting the process. Right. Those are two different things. And man, those first five years were grit, struggle, perseverance, pain, uh, joy, sadness. So you're just riding the emotional roller coaster. It was all me on my shoulders, right? You obviously have people that work for you, but you're the one carrying the load. And, uh, man, I just think back to those days and what was I thinking? And, uh, obviously I was a genius, right? I, yeah. I knew, I knew it would pay off. I, I knew yeah. that. I always knew that someday it'd pay off, but you're like Elon Musk, days. man. No. Well, that's what, <laughs> yeah. Our good friend would say that. But those are, those are the five to nines, right? So I left my nine to five so I could go work a five to nine. And uh, I remember, you know, Saturday nights, take me, you, make, you make a lot of sacrifices in those early years. So Saturday nights, my wife would want to watch Netflix. I'm like, I got to go work. 
and I would work till I got dizzy and I couldn't walk from the computer to this big scheduling whiteboard wall thing that we had. And then I drive wow. home, sleep, and you could sleep in on Sundays because you're going to go, because you didn't have to go to church till nine. Typically you're in the office at five. So you're sleeping in extra that day. And, and uh, those were the grinding years. And then we had, I think our second, second our two-year-old was born the year that we crossed 2 million. So it's hard in those early years to have young kids too. Yeah. You don't see them as much. Um, you know that you're making a sacrifice and you, that's the hard thing about entrepreneurism is you don't know if it's going to pay off or not. Right? Yeah. If you work in a big company or if you're a partner in a law firm, you know, you put the time in, people are going to recognize it and you're going to earn up that, that either relational or, or real equity. When you're an entrepreneur, nobody knows or cares the sacrifices yeah. you're making and putting in, right? It's about yeah. results and you don't know if what you're doing is a good decision or not. And you could, you could actually lose money in a given year. Right? Yeah. If you're putting in the kind of work and passion and, and honestly applying a lot of skill that you have in a, in a larger company, you can get rewarded pretty handsomely for that. So those early years are a lot of sweat equity, a lot of emotional uh, passion, and also a lot of risk that's and pain. I just can't click call it anything else than, than yeah. pain in those first early year, early years. Yeah, you're kind of flying in the dark and really you're ultimately taking a bet on yourself. Yeah, that you're gonna I think through. in the dark too, I'd say, just, again, just emphasize on my own as well. Wasn't really connected to anybody else. Didn't know other painting contractors. I remember, um, so I would drive mostly around in this Hyundai Elantra. And then <clears throat> I'd go to the paint store and painting contractors had these big, fancy, nice trucks. I was like, frick, like, <laughs> these guys must all be like eight, 10, $20 million companies. I'm just a little humble Hyundai Elantra, $1 million company. And, uh, you know, that's not reality. Just like social media is not reality. Yep. And, uh, but I had no idea. I was like, I think the purveying thought in those early years is, am I the only dumb one here? Yeah. Right? The reality is it's hard for everybody. <clears throat> growing a business and the painting industry is a challenge. Scaling is, is hard to do. And, uh, but I didn't know that. I thought I was the only one that was kind of struggling in that way. Yeah. And I think this is an amazing point because you're obviously one of the, the most successful painting companies, um, really probably in the, in the United States and chair the, yeah. Huh, yeah, residential for sure. Um, I mean, doing Nate, we, we, uh, spoke, spoke with him on Tuesday. He said, you guys are probably going to do over $11 million yep. um, in 2022. Yep. And you're the, the chair of the board of the PCA. You have a, a lot going for you. And here you are saying you felt dumb and didn't really know whether you were the only dumb one. So I think that can, that should probably make a lot of people feel a little better if they feel that way. Yeah. I think the, one of my favorite messages when I talk to other painting contractors is it's okay for it to be hard. Right? Mm -hmm. The people will say like, because I think that's a feeling we all have is, Am I the only one that it's this hard for? And uh, just validating, like you are founding a company. Mm -hmm. That is hard. That is hard, right? And, and if you feel like I'm struggling and it's painful and I don't know if I'm doing it right, that's the price of admission. Yeah. Right? You are doing, that is a normal feeling and just want to validate that's hard. And guess what? Next year, it's going to be hard. And I remember those, those early years, like it was every single year I cried. Right. You get mm -hmm. to the low. And I can remember every single spot, what it was where you're just like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if it's worth it. And you get through that. It's an emotional low point in the day. Uh, yeah. But I remember it was the first year I was doing it full time. 
um, I'm just gonna give you this is a story. It's very good. Yeah, right? that, that, we love stories. First yeah, year I was doing it full time. Um, it had just rained a couple of days. We had gone through like a wet a wet spell. It dried up. We're out there painting on houses. We're on this big job crew. I was I was all employee based at the time. The crews were not hitting my estimate, so I was not making the margin I thought I would be making, which is stressful. So I'm out there trying to teach them, encourage them, hold some accountability. I want to show a guy like, hey, like he's just kind of like, no, you gotta like move with a purpose. And so I grab the ladder, like here, and I get the pivot tool on it. I run up there, but the ground is wet, and I'm sure I did something wrong because I'm not not the smartest human being. So it slips, starts to slip back a little bit. I'm up on the ladder. I'm gonna I'm gonna show him like how to really move with intention. (laughs) Climb up the ladder. It starts to slip back a little bit, and then it catches and it turns, and I fall off. Oh wow! I land and I like just land on my, my, my side and nothing major, like, like a bruised rib, maybe at the worst. And, uh, but just knocks the wind out of me. So I can't like talk. I'm just like, this sucks. (laughs) I drive home. I, I, I drive straight home. I go, I sit down for a second in the kitchen, grab my laptop. I go www.codeacademy.com. I'm thinking I'm a pretty smart guy. I'm just going to write code. This sucks. I don't ever want to run. I don't, I don't want to wow. run a paying company. I don't want to say more. I'm going to take Obama's advice and just learn how to code today. And uh, now I ended up not doing that. <clears throat> and, uh, but I just remember that as a low point where I'm just like, what is my alternative? Cause this, this sucks. Wow. You were thinking about giving up and just getting a job as a developer. Yeah. Just go write code somewhere in a cubicle and uh, not, not do this anymore. Cause it was hard, but you had thought you had that moment. I think every year when you're really stretching yourself um, yeah. in whatever it can be. And this, this may not just be your business, but um, I was certainly stretching myself in business those years. And, and yeah, that's the number one message I love to give to people is what you're doing is hard and it's okay to feel that way. That's amazing. Yeah, that is Really good advice, and I'm sure it's appreciated by many people. Um, okay, so so with you, you know, it, it was a struggle. You didn't give up. You thought about giving up a few times. What would you say kind of helped you through that? It, not not mentally, but in terms of what it, what advice would you have for painting company owners that maybe they're stuck at half a million and they want to ultimately get to past ten million? What would you tell them? Hmm. Well, there's kind of I think there's probably two parts that I'll answer. One is um, you have to be a little irrational and have like an irrational belief. I th- that's how I felt. I looking back, it was like, my wife you- calls it dumb confidence. Yeah. Like, what were you thinking? Like, why yeah. would you keep doing that? <laughs> like the opportunity cost of every single year that you're doing this is pretty large. Right? Yeah. You don't want to sit down and do the math uh, for a couple of years or you're just going to quit probably. Yeah. You're not making much money. And if you're to put that work and us and most business, I mean, most small businesses, they're putting a lot of skill to work too, right? They're interviewing mm. people, they're hiring people, they're doing right. sales, they're doing production management, they're doing the business counting, planning, every strategy, strategy, like all those different roles. Um, so you have to be a little irrational. And then we never got stuck. We just had obviously pretty, pretty steady growth, but I think I've, if you get stuck, um, you know, it's being open-minded to reevaluating your beliefs. And uh, a lot of times we have these 
preconceived notions, these beliefs, it's basically, so the concept is first principle reasoning. You break everything down to its most fundamental concepts that are true, and then you build back up from there. So you might have a limiting belief that says, ah, there's just, there's no good guys out there and I can't hire and I'll never grow mm. more than 500 or, or uh, I just, I'll never have the time to do the systems building that I need to do while also doing everything else. And so break that down. What's true. What's not get some outside advice and be open-minded to hearing something that is not a current belief that you hold. And I think that open-mindedness is a real key personal trait to those that continue to grow and, and not get stuck on those roadblocks. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think, you know, being, having an abundance mindset, being open-minded, being willing to take a hard look at yourself are all characteristics of a, of a leader and a, non, a successful entrepreneur. When you, I do want to kind of run through an exercise here if you're open, open for it, because I, I want to make sure I understand it and everyone's lis- listening understands it. So when you say limiting beliefs, kind of break everything down, obviously the, the labor shortage or perceived labor shortage, you know, I think there's different degrees of belief there. Let's, let's focus on that. Let's say someone's at, at 300,000, 500,000 and they say, man, I, I would be a $2 million company if I could get good painters, but I can't. What's the process? How do, they, how do we do that? I mean, I always say, let's look at the facts, right? So how, are there other painters out there, first of all, or are there no painters? There's literally no painters. <laughs> oh, there's lots of painters, right? You yeah. guys are silly. There are many, many painters. Well, how many painters are there? I don't know. Let's, let's do some simple math. Like go to one Sherwin-Williams store in your geographical area that you want to serve. Ask them how many gallons of paint of your type of product that they sell. So for us to be the residential products, right? And say, well, it's a lot of gallons. How many gallons do you use? And then figure out how many gallons you use. Your, your, your uh, sales reps would know this too. You kind of get like gallons per head count, right? Mm-hmm. And then you do the math. You say, well, if, you know, if my painter is using this many gallons and that store is selling that many gallons, how many painters is that store servicing, right? With that headcount ratio. Mm-hmm. And how many stores are there in the area that I'm willing to serve? And then what market share does Sherwin have versus the other guys? And you can ask your territory rep because he knows that answer. Right. Or just mm-hmm. split in, in half. You assume that they own 50%. Suddenly you're doing the math and you're like, there's a lot of freaking painters out there. Yeah. In the same way that there's a lot of houses to paint. Right. Now, now we know what, now we know what the, the kind of market cap of labor is. Like we know that there's an abundant market cap of demand as well. You'd say, well, okay. So there's, there is a limit to the number of painters out there. They may all be gainfully employed. And uh, if you are the worst employer in town, you're only going to get the bottom five, right? If you are the very worst place to work for, you go to the bottom five. If you're not the worst place to work for, you would think that more people would want to work for you, right? So it's usually what, what the issue is. You don't have a business that people want to work for. It's not that there aren't people Our truth. working your business, right? That's the hard part. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is that's the first business problem that painting companies typically run into is I can't hire my friends in my network, right? Mm. Now I need to hire people to come into my business and they're going to get exposed to potentially chaos and not everyone's willing to martyr themselves like I am for my company. And I don't have the same peer pressure that I do to my friends and family. So it's hard to recruit and retain labor. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big topic that 
I discussed with Nick Slavic on his episode was, was this idea that, um, you know, the, the, the labor shortage is not as severe or final as a lot of painting company owners seem to think. Yeah. I don't want to downplay that it's a challenge in a company. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're an entrepreneur, you're a professional problem solver, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's your job. And that's not the first problem you're going to run into. If you want to actually run a business, if you want to be self-employed and have you and three other painters painting all day, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's a phenomenal thing to do. But if you want to run a company, um, you're going to have a lot of problems that are a lot harder. I'll be honest, a lot harder than how do I recruit three painters today? Yeah. Right? That's like, you can't figure that out. It's, it's not getting easier in life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, an excellent point. You know, I think a lot of, of painting company owners sort of struggle with this transition, especially if they started as a painter from being self-employed and, you know, painting with their crew to being a business person and, a, and an owner of a business. And, and I think employees hiring, managing, that's a big learning curve, but it's a necessary learning curve. If you, if you want to actually get to a million, it's, two million, it's and like it, it just exposes everything else in the company too. Right. So it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's a learning curve, but it's also the first thing that starts to really, you can't just wing, wing your right. people see through that pretty quick. Right. And the things that you're willing to do or that you can cover up with you and a couple guys, you can't cover that up or, or just make it happen at scale. Right. And it's, so it's like, there's like the actual challenge of recruiting the labor that's an issue, Yep. but then there's the challenge of really integrating labor. That's just as hard. Right. And then when yep. it doesn't work, it's easy to make an excuse and say, oh, it's just because kids these days don't want to work. And I is like, well, not for you. Yeah. You overall, right. Sherman Williams sells more and more gallons every single year. Uh, more and more houses get painted. Um, now I'm not saying that demand is an outstripping supply. That's a challenge and a real issue, but yeah, there's a lot of painters out there. It's like, yeah. it's not like there's no painters. There's a lot. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, the importance of system, systematizing your company, having the, the processes, cause you can't just cover for things. When employees come in, there needs to be some sort of structure, quality control, yeah. you know, customer it's, service. That's like, so this is just one part we're talking about a professionalized company and what are the ramifications of not being, you know, professionally minded. Um, I think that it's also a cyclical issue, right there. Cause not everybody wants to be a painter in life, right? That is true, right? There yeah. is a truth that, uh, per proportion of demand supply has not risen at the same ratio. Mm -hmm. right? So it is a challenge. It is a hard thing to do. Um, so the, 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 the cyclical conundrum you run into is when you're not professional, you hire people, they don't have a great experience. Now nobody wants to become a painter, right? Why would, why would anybody want to get into the painting industry when there's not many good companies to go and work for? Right. Yeah. I don't, it's like somebody asked me if I thought about going to high schools and talking to the kids about becoming a painter. And I'm like, you know, we could, um, I think, it, I think that the beneficial, there is a benefit to showing role models of what it can look like. Um, but I'm like, I don't want kids to go work for most of y'all. Right? Yeah. You see some of these companies and it's not and that's, actually a good opportunity. Yeah, And that's, that's like, I want to say that humbly and, and make sure that that's received in a, in a healthy way. But yep. the reality is, is if you throw someone into 
the painting business see, um, odds are they're not going to have a great experience as an employee. And mm -hmm. that's a tough deal. And then you try and petition someone and say, well, you start out as an employee and then you become this and become that. And someday you can run your own company. I don't know, man, most business owners, it's like, I wouldn't really call that something that is a big carrot for what I'm trying to recruit people into, right? Yeah. For most of residential repaint for a long time, it's been, you got uncle Chuck in a truck and he's at Thanksgiving dinner and he's drunk. He's overweight. <laughs> his truck is rusty and he's probably getting a divorce because he never interacts with his family. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not a good, like no one wants to become a painter when you see that. Right. But it's if you got not a good avatar, yeah. you got uncle Johnny and Johnny's like driving a Tesla and mm. uh, he's like happy and he engages with his family. It's like, wait a second. What's uncle Johnny up to? Oh, he owns a company. He owns a painting company. Maybe I want a painting company when I grow up. Right. And yeah. I think that role model, it's a cyclical thing. Um, but it kind of starts with being a good role model in the, in the industry. So that's, other people want to jump in and join in that are going to be professionally minded. Yeah. I think, and I think the PCA is amazing at that. And you being the chair of the, the board, the PCA are contributing back. You know, I think, I think you're kind of approaching it from a different angle. Like, Hey, let's, let's really professionalize this industry. Let's make as many painting companies, great places to work as possible. And then the, you know, the interest will be generated. Yeah. That's, that's, that's certainly one of our big strategic initiatives is, you know, I think that you can tack it from both sides. You want to build professionalization up in the industry because there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of gems and, and with a little bit of support, a little bit of coaching, a little bit of knowledge transfer, motivation, uh, communal engagement. There's a lot of potential to build up professionalization within some of the seeds that are already in the industry. I think there's also a tremendous opportunity to draw professionalization into what we do, right? There's yeah. a lot of really bright minds that are in no way ever going to think of, I think running a painting company would be a great idea, right? seems like a bad idea to most of them, mm -hmm. most people. Uh, but if you can start to paint a path, paint a path, if you can start to show a path of, no, no, you can run an actual company. You don't have to be a martyr and just do it for the love of the trade. You can, right. instead of starting a chain of restaurants, which would be a bad idea right now, right? It's a tough you could, idea. Yeah. You could jump into a highly fragmented um, industry that, you know, demand far outstrips supply. And these are, you know, decade long trends. Uh, and you could build a business that can, you can build growth, equity wealth and have tremendous cash flows, pretty low, pretty low cash very, very uh, low capital intensive, great yeah. cash flows. Like that's where you get like the MBAs are like, oh, I'm not going to go start a brewery. I'm going to start a painting company. And yeah. you see that in plumbing, HVAC, roofing, pest control has started to do that as well. Um, there's a lot of other home services businesses that have really gone through that professional renaissance and they're attracting great talent to come and run companies and build companies. That hasn't happened yet in painting. Uh, that's not going to last forever. So it's been kind of nice. I'll be honest. It's been kind of yeah. nice. It's not very competitive, but um, I think that's another way that you really start to change the industry is by drawing professionalization in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you, uh, I mean, we, we work with painting contractors across the country, growing them. And my wife had to pull me off the ledge a few months ago. I was going to start a second company. 
was going to start a painting company in addition to to running painter marketing pros and she told me to to to, to cool it so cool it. it was good but most likely uh most likely i actually am going to jump into the fray here with you guys with my own painting company in a, in a couple of years yeah it's a great i mean i'm it's a great opportunity it's uh like i said it's not very capital intensive yeah you can't make that big of a mistake in general like there are things you can do but typically your worst day is you have to repaint something right so it's not like a super high risk learning curve if you want to get into it and then yep um there's such a high demand for what we do particularly on a professional side right so my my belief has always been held that you've got this strata of clients right just like just like in the food consumption industry right you have people that want to eat at Manny's steakhouse you have people that want to eat out of the food truck right mm-hmm. and there will always be people, people that want to eat out of a food truck. Um, not everyone's going to eat out of a man's steakhouse, but in general, people would prefer to eat somewhere nice if it was accessible to them, right? And uh, that's something with painting contractors. My belief is that there's, we like to complain about, um, you know, the illegitimate painting contractor, right? People, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody complain, but I hear a lot of complaints of like, oh, these guys, they're just not legit and they're undercutting and it's what's ruining the industry. It's like, well, I don't think they'd exist if there were professional painting companies at enough of a scale to service the demand of clients. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of this, if you want to call it like, um, there's a lot of that, a lot of that kind of lower tier market where people basically price themselves out of business or they're just running at such a razor's edge of risk that um, it's detrimental. A lot of that exists because clients aren't able to find uh, painting contractors that they prefer to work with to service them and they end up settling for something less. And I I always say, look in the mirror, like you got to grow your ability of capacity so you can service more clients. So that's not as much of an issue. And I think if more contractors do that, that's one way that things improve as well. But obviously I have a lot of hypotheses and, uh, you know, they're all just ideas, but. Yeah. Well, you seem to have a a pretty recurring theme here of accountability and whatever your problem is, look in the mirror because it's probably related to you as an entrepreneur. You kind of have to own everything. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a, a great mindset in life is control what you can control um, you know, be the solution, not the complaint. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's good. I'm glad that you see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, okay. Kind of switching gears a little bit. want to touch on some marketing stuff. So, um, we're working with you guys, you guys hire painter marketing pro. So, so I, kn- I know we're going to be doing some of the web stuff, but, but you guys already have a very dialed in system, obviously. Um, you know, you're doing, I'll, I'm just going to say you're doing North of 10 million because you are at this point, what, what's worked best for you? What, what are, what, where have you seen the biggest ROI on your uh, systems, your marketing, everything? Yeah. Well, first I'll say, I, so I learned that we had hired you this morning, actually from my yeah. director, Nate. And uh, I was kind of shocked because uh, I mean, I've seen you on social media and I've heard all about you, but there are a million at seemingly marketing gurus out there. And uh, Nate is a, pretty dialed in guy. And so if he hired you, uh, I, I'm going to say I was shocked and hopefully don't take offense to that. But if he hired you, it's like, you're the real deal, right? Yeah. You never know. Yeah. So, he's a smart guy. 
yeah, congrats on that. It's a, it's a good account. Um, yeah. What's worked best for us, the highest ROI piece we've had is uh, single delivery actionable flyers. And so that's our highest ROI. So 14X and wow. we do that at scale. So Paris Painting spent a little over $230,000 delivering flyers last year at a 14X revenue. So we love paying that bill. Right? That is great. Return. Um, and that was actually, so I had started, when I started Paris Painting, I was door knocking and then hanging a flyer if nobody answered the doors. That's how I started off the ground, right? Knock, 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 nobody answer, knock, 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 nobody answer. Grassroots. Knock, 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 hello, get the F out of here. All right, sounds great, right? Do that enough times in a day, someone answers the door and they want a painting quote. So that's how I started. You hang flyers, but I don't answer. Own a company near me called Paperboy Marketing and they delivered flyers. So I hired them. Great returns. Sweet. Did that, did that, did that year over year over year. Uh, Nate ended up selling his company in 20... I think 2018. 2018. Yeah, 2018, 2019. You're probably right. 2018, you used to interview with them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. That sale, all you've, yeah, people who listen to your podcast will know that sale did not go well. Uh, he ended up having to take the company back, which is never the goal of that transaction. Paris Painting. The risk of seller financing. Yep. Paris Painting felt the pain of that, right? We were a primary vendor and that was not fun to go through because mm -hmm. we, uh, we really loved their services. So there was a, he's probably explained this on your podcast, but there was a combination of, of things and, and we ended up purchasing that company partially because of Nate's talents, right? Brought Nate on. He's now our director of marketing and customer experience. So we own that company in-house. Now it charges the same price to Paris Painting that it charges to other painting contractors just in the Twin Cities. So we don't get great savings outside of having similar ownership profit, so similar ownership. So the profits go to the same people. But um, yeah, that's been our highest ROI tactic is, is flyer delivery. There was a big push in the last two years that Nate's been doing a phenomenal job on, on de-risking that. Because we, you get that kind of return. I think 14X is pretty good. You tend to stack at, at scale. You stack to start to stack a lot of chips on that. Yeah. You get two funneled in. Now you're at risk, right? So we said, this is great. However, let's start to diverse, diversify a little bit. So point. I think he's done a great job. I want to say he, he knows. I, I don't even want to say because my numbers are going to be wrong. But it's probably like yep. hopefully less than half of our leads come from flyers now. Um but Nate could tell you, I don't handle anything with marketing. He does. Yeah. We're actually going to have Nate on for a second episode because we, we actually didn't really get to marketing very much. Okay. And, okay. and we kind of started touching on it, but it had been almost an hour. So I, we both knew this was another hour long conversation. So that's yeah, we're going to have a round two. Cool. Yeah. So the, that, that's really interesting. So 14 X, obviously that's an amazing return, especially at scale. Cause you can, Definitely. it's easier to get 10 yeah. plus return if it's small. It's just yeah, just like investing cash, right? It's like you can find somewhere to put your cash and get a, you know, 15% return, but try doing that with like a million bucks. Yeah. <laughs> can't find a place. It's harder. It's just harder. Right. So, so kind of with the flyer, do you have any, for any painting companies that kind of thinking about this, do you have any advice for how you structure the flyer, how, how you target the residences, anything like that? Yeah. Well, all credit will go to Nate on this, but I'll tell you what I know. And Something that I've always liked that's on our flyer delivery piece is some kind of a grounding or like a baseline offer, right? And it'll okay. say like 2,000 square feet of house, 
rough, you know, 299, right? And I'll say requires a custom quote, can change based off of this, 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 and this, whatever it may be. And you get out there and it's going to be, could be a $2,200 job, could be a $3,800 job. It's all over the map, but you at least have something where a client can, can take this card. They see some kind of price gauge or reference, and now they feel grounded. So like that's in there. Uh, there's a face, there's my face on there from before I had kids. I have four kids now. So you look, I look young and like chipper. Spry, I haven't been beat down by four like, kids. Oh, look yet. at this young guy. He, the go-getter. He's a go-getter, someone I could trust. And uh, go get it done. That. There's a personal bio that touches on things that different people will pick up on. So kind of strategically placed in University of Minnesota graduate, uh, father of four, um, like, like to run and uh, involved in my community and church, right? And those are four things that our, avatar, our marketing avatar uh, would typically pick up on one of those four things. And so they see that and they relate to it, right? They're runners, they're family people. They're either a runner or a family person involved in the local community or church, um, whatever the fourth one I said I said was, or went to the University of Minnesota, right? Oh, yeah. kind, of, kind of grown up in Minnesota, have a Minnesota tie or a Minnesota allegiance. This is actually a state that has the highest percentage of people that are born and also die in the same state. So we know wow. that's a, a nice trigger. So you have that. And then uh, within three seconds, you have to know what the flyer is telling you, right? What is it about? So you sold it for three seconds. One, two, three, take it away. What is this about? Oh, they paint houses, right? It's gotta be super simple, super clean, crisp. Have to understand three. Those first two features I talked about, that's really about grounding someone to feel comfortable and secure. So it's really scary. And I'll just talk from my experience. It's really scary to reach out and try and gather a quote for something that you don't know much about, mm. right? So if I needed to, oh, this is a good, if I needed someone to build a website, I'd be like, uh, I don't really want to do this. Is I don't really want to do it. <laughs> it's just, it's just $65,000, Jason. I don't know where to start. I don't know what questions to ask. Yeah. Ugh. But if I get a flyer, <laughs> let's say I got a flyer and it's like website, $2,000 uh, plus or minus here's some feet, here's some things that are going to drive it up and down. Right. Yeah. And here's Brandon and his face is like shaven and looks nice. And here's some stuff about him personally. Like, wow. Like I feel like by holding this, I'm going to use nice, thick cardstock that's laminated. I feel like by holding this, I just feel more secure and safe when I call them. Right. And so I'm going to call, I'm going to be looking at this. I feel grounded and secure. Like I have some reference and ammunition. So I'm not coming in blind into like a, a yeah. fog. That's how I interpret our marketing piece. Mark would, or Nate would explain it phenomenally, but I think those are some key components. The client has to feel safe, have to feel secure. It's a very scary thing that they're doing. They're reaching yep. out to someone it is. to collect a quote on a service that they don't know much about. Yeah. And I think, I think it's so easy um, for entrepreneurs and painting company owners to kind of forget that, you know, we're, we're in it the day to day and you guys are, are selling jobs and some jobs are going to be 10, 15, 20 plus thousand dollars. So if someone is kind of hesitant about a three or $4,000 job, it can kind of seem like, well, what's the big deal. But for them, that's a lot of money. It's not an everyday thing. Yeah. 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 Not every day you get your house painted. Yeah. It's, it's a big, and it's, uh, you know, one of the things we've kind of talked about is, is there's, it's a high risk. Because there's a lot of ego wrapped up in house painting. You know, it, it's ultimately gonna, it's gonna really affect their mood. It's when, when they have family or friends come over, if it's a bad job, that's gonna be really embarrassing. It's not like plumbing or electrical where you just need it done, but no one's really gonna see it. Everyone's gonna see it. 
Yep. It's a big identity piece for a lot of people too, right? Even subconsciously. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of humiliation that comes. It's not done well. And yeah, meeting con- I mean, and clients are rightfully on edge because yeah. in painting, we have just an unprofessionalized business or industry where it's like most clients have either been taken advantage of themselves or have experienced being taken advantage of Mm-hmm. through a friend a family member or someone on tv right they've watched the, they've watched an episode where a contractor has not acted in a way that a long-standing professional company would yeah right so yeah no and, and you as a contractor you have to come into an engagement with the client knowing like they may be a little jumpy and there's a right. reason for that like they've been like abused either directly or indirectly but they get it, your subconscious doesn't know if it's you or somebody else that's why you're in a movie. When you're at the movie theater, you're like, oh my gosh, is our ship going to crash? Like, I'm gonna yeah, be oh yeah. Stressed out right now. I'm not on a ship. I'm in a theater eating popcorn, but I'm like worried that the ship's going to crash because my subconscious thinks that I'm there. So you know, yeah. the clients, like they have this emotion, they have an emotional reaction and it's real. And you have to, you're like almost walking into like, I almost hesitate to use this because someone will get offended by it. But so I don't mean a bad way, but you're almost like you're walking into a battered women's shelter and you're like reaching out to someone, you're like, no, I'm not going to hit you. Like, I'm trying to like help you. Yeah. And uh, you're like going to, a, you're going to a client and you're like, and here's the contract, but like, I'm like, here's like, this is the, like, like, I'm going to do what I tell you I'm going to do. Like, this is, they're like jumpy and scared and like, ah, like, yep. I don't want to put any money down and, and you're just going to con me. And it's like, no, like we're, 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 we're good. We're good people. Like, yeah, yeah. we've been hurt, but we're, we're, we're a good person. So that's a great point. Yeah. You have to always start with the buyer in mind and kind of keep their um, whatever past traumas or, or hesitations they may have, uh, in mind when you, you said you, you, um, have these four pieces of information that you give about yourself, runner, uh, father of four church, and then went to university of Minnesota. And that typically one, your, your customer avatar, your target market avatar is going to resonate with at least one of those. Did you guys actually sit down and come up with, okay, here's our target avatar. What was that like? Nate will get mad when he listens to this because he's not, he doesn't feel like we have enough data to confidently say our, who our avatar is. If you guys don't have enough data to say that, then no one he's has getting, enough data. He's going to get there though. So he just, he was, we're t- yeah. So that's, that's probably not, for me, that's an intentional thing. I, and I, I don't know if it was, I feel like I look back at that. And it's like, so here, I'll give you like the honest answer is I put that stuff out there on my first flyer in like 2014. And it worked. And it worked. <laughs> now I look back retroactively, I'm like, these are like four things that are anchors for every client that we have. Now you got to explain it. Yeah. This is great. And so Nate would tell you that we don't have a true avatar yet. He's getting there. He's almost there, but he'd be really mad if I said that I know what our avatar is because he's the one that ultimately has to deliver on that. Yeah. Nate is a, a very thorough dude. He has a, he has a lot of data. Yes. Yeah. He is. He's super, I mean, yeah, because I mean, Paperboy is just like a data goldmine of every single house in the Twin Cities metro area. And uh, he's a phenomenal mind as well, because he's just, he's worked with most large home service companies in the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, I mean, he's an entrepreneur. I could say tons of great things about him, but yeah, he's also very data intensive. Yeah. He's almost, he's almost as big into like the keyboard uh, monitor setup as I am right? He's like, he has his, he has all those monitors up. He's got like his mouse embedded in his chair. 
just sitting there just squinting. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's he's a great. Guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, he um, he has made it a point that he's taken you guys to over $30 million, uh, yep. for Paris painting. So that's – Oh, for painting? Okay. For paint? No, for painting. Because I think we're getting pretty painting. close to the 30 as a holdings company this next year. But Oh, yeah, um, this is just your painting division. All right, man. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, that. Yeah, that would be pretty. That'd be pretty good. Triple. He would, he would be the guy to drive us there from a marketing perspective too. Yeah. Right. I'd put my hat on no one else but him, with with you on the team with him as one of his resources. Right. That's yeah. It. That's obviously something he's using. So, um, yeah, I like to hear that. That's great. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, in your shoes, I would definitely like to hear as well. It's good news. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So a lot of things are going. Well, obviously, for you guys, you're close to 30 million as it's a holding company. The painting division is doing over 10. Is there anything you guys are struggling with right now? Um, I would say our like ID biggest risk or biggest challenge is developing leaders. And so we know how to buy market share, right? We know how to produce work. <clears throat> we have not experienced a labor shortage in what we are offering and that what we're able to stock up and, and ramp up with for for labor. Um, we know how to coordinate those two components after a job gets sold, sold and what needs to get to produced at scale, all items at scale. The parts where you get to get funneled as you grow for us is developing leaders. And that's a big thing that we're investing in. That's a, obviously a key strategic initiative over the last year is making sure that we're well positioned and doing that forecasting, that planning of or the future roles we're going to need over the next three to five years and who's in the pipeline and what structures can be needed and how do we develop and recruit and retain these leaders. So that's really the limiting factor for us. Um, another big piece would be obviously it sounds cliche, but culture, right? So making sure that the culture's in check and ultimately we have two, two key numbers that are going to determine our success over the long haul. One is our net promoter score. And the other is the internal retention. If you have happy, happy staff and happy clients, that's, that's what's going to sustain in the long term, right? Without those two things, you know, you're probably on a five to 10 year time horizon to, to petering out. Yeah, that's a great point. So when, when you guys are recruiting leaders, are you kind of looking internally for that? Or are you typically looking externally? How do you do that? We do both and it's got to be done kind of at a healthy ratio too. So there's a challenge of when you are growing, you're creating a lot of new roles and there is a risk factor involved in having someone step into a role they've never performed in, right? Yeah. You never want to overload the org chart with um, an experienced risk in that sense. There's a ratio of what's appropriate and what's not. And uh, I'll just tell you in 2021, so last year, we overloaded that ratio. And uh, we had a great year. Paris Painting particularly had a great year, but some of our other business divisions in the holdings company did not have as great of a year as we were hoping. And uh, we had definitely leveraged ourselves quite a bit on that, on that risk factor. So you've got that component, but then also you never want to overload the amount of external hires and key roles that you do in a given year either, right? Cause you want to retain the culture. You want to make sure that the ethos is there. You always hire for values. you hire, you fire for values. Um, but you never want to have too many new people in, in out, from outside of the organization into key roles in a given year too. It's kind of like, uh, 
I don't know. I, I like, I don't watch a ton of sports, but I love reading and watching documentaries about sports. And uh, so I like Bill Belichick as a coach. I know he's a love hate guy, but he was talking about team building. I'm sure it's not his concept, but just the ratio of veterans to new guys that is appropriate in a locker room. And uh, you got to think about that a little bit with your organization of what's the appropriate ratio, right? It's not always about having the most talented group of people in your company, but it's building a, kind of a, a whole ecosystem of people that work well together. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. You have some people who have the experience and can come in and know the job and then you provide a path to advancement for employees uh, who have been with the company and know the company really well and are very loyal and you kind of have your cake and eat it too, sort of that way. We just, we're very open messaging about this is what we're doing, right? We're trying to empower everybody to have that ownership mindset and to own their role more than just being an employee because mm. there's a pathway for them to jump and eventually kind of own a section of a business unit. We're big believers in that. We're not like a hold the pie to ourselves group mm. philosophically. It's really let's share what we have and you know, selfishly also grow the pie together with people who are yep. very invested and, and have earned that position. Yeah. The abundance mindset. Yep. Um, so you guys, I think you had mentioned that it's negative 10 degrees there right now, which is obviously very cold. Yet you've, you've managed to grow a really successful business, even though you guys endure a long and harsh winter. Do you have any advice for how to combat winter season? Yeah. So I'll tell you what we've done and then what we're doing now. We've gotten really good at scaling up and down. So that's what we've done in the past. So I started out, as I mentioned, full employee model. And have since transitioned to majority subcontracted model. Large part reason for that is we have call it seven months of winter here in Minnesota. And uh, you've got five months where, and you've got rain in, in there as well, where everyone is trying to get all their exterior painting done as well as interior painting that they want during that season as well. So you have to be high RPM, you know, scale up sales, scale up production, uh, make hay well the sun shines. And there's a lot of logistics that go into making that work well. And that's a strong point of ours. We're really good at logistics and organization. So that's one way to solve it is just get really good at those things. Um, we are now, I mean, over the past two years, it's been a strategic initiative directed from the board level of, we want to just like a lot of things, de-risk, right? De-risk and stabilize as you get bigger. And so we want to grow our interior arm. So it's just a lot more stable throughout the year. So instead of spiking like this in the summer, mm -hmm. it's more of like this, right? Just a smoother curve, essentially. My arms didn't make sense there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's part of it. It's just getting really good at scaling up and down. The other part is uh, get do more interior work so you're not scaling as much in proportion. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. Maybe Are there... satisfying answers, but that is... That's what we've done in the past and that's what we're doing now. Yeah, no, that's, I think that'll be helpful for a lot of people. Are, are there any um, marketing or growth strategies that you've tried that you were really excited about, thought they were going to work well and ended up being a flop? Yeah, radio. Radio. Uh, so we did radio and I, I think it's a good tactic. And I know people um, secondhand who have had phenomenal success in other industries like carpet cleaning uh, in particular. So um, we, uh, this was 2019, we spent quite a bit of money on radio and I think it moved the needle, but it was not like an ROI piece. 
And Nate, I think, understands the tactic of radio and he would be able to do it well. This is before we had hired Nate. So we're all just flying by the seat of our pants when it comes to marketing. And uh, so, yeah, that was one tactic that we dumped some cash into. And it was fun because, like, I'd go to church and people were like, hey, I heard your radio ad. Yeah. <laughs> I love to have my ego boosted. This is good. Sure. Who doesn't? Yeah. So, um, but other than that, I mean, you got, we got leads from it. We certainly got a return, but not in an ROI perspective that wanted us, we aren't doing it now. Right. Yeah. Got it. And then um, for smaller painting companies with a limited marketing budget who, you know, can't be spending a quarter of a million a year on direct mail not uh, our flyers, no, flyers, single piece, actionable delivery. So they, 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 okay. they T-band them to like a door handle. Got it. Okay. The client has to, it's a single piece that's there and they have to engage with it. Do they have that's to take it off their door? They have to engage with it. Yeah. Okay. So if they don't have the, the money to do that, or, or at least anywhere near the scale, what would you recommend that they start with? Man, I'm a big fan of, well, I mean, what I did was just knocking on doors. Don't knock like, it. Get yep. humble, get scrappy. It, it costs you zero dollars, yep. only your pride. Uh, <laughs> it only costs your pride. only costs yeah. your pride, man. You learn a lot, though. You learn a lot. And I'm I'm an introvert. Like, I don't not have wow. that. Um, but it was that like, must have been hard. I'm door knocking for eight hours on Saturday. Wow. Um, and that's what I'm going to do today. And uh, like I said, it's like, no, I'm calling the cops. Uh, then you get the housewife who answers like, you know, I don't need a paint card, but I don't need a paint shop now, but let me give my card. You know, actually, I don't, I don't remember what she said. I just remember she said like, and my name is like, uh, I don't even know if I can say her name. I'll, I'll use a different, my name is like Samantha willing. That says that's, that's like willing and able. He gave me a wink. Like, ah, no, ah. <laughs> so I like, scurry away to the next house. So you just, you just have bad experiences door knocking. It's not fun, but then you get one client who says, yeah, I'll take a quote. Like, great. When, when can I come back and do that? Do you want me to do it? And they're like, oh, let's do it on, on Monday. You go there and they say, no. Okay, freak. All right. So then, you, then, you, then you, you're still not, you're getting more. And then eventually you get someone who says, yes. You quote their job out. They say, yes. Great. Now you got a job. Stick a yard sign up. And then when you're out there, I, I painted like my first, first couple of part-time years. You're in your painter whites. You're painting the house. At lunch, you take a break and you knock every door again. And you do it mm -hmm. in your painter whites, right? Because now mm -hmm. you have some social proof. You got the yard sign up. People have typically seen the yard sign driving in and out. Say so you're, you're painting the house down the street. Yep. Go back and paint. And then same thing in the evening. And you're, that's like the golden hour. So like 5.30 to 8.30, you're knocking every door in that neighborhood. Like, yeah, I'm painting a house. And like, I'm painting a house down the street. Now, how do you say no to that? That's a great, I mean, if you're looking for a paint job and a guy's knocking on your door, he's like, I'm painting a house down the street. And he looks somewhat professional and like, okay, like the shirt matches the sign I saw. That's how I would start. It's like, swallow your pride, knock on some doors, get gritty, um, get things off the door. Now, the second thing I'd recommend is to hire painting marketing pros. That is <laughs> obviously outside of that where you would start. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, that's really flyer delivery, knocking on doors. Um, I mean, the, the things people do now are so much more creative than what I did back in my day, 10 years ago. Back in, so. back in your day. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, I'm a big so old. Guerrilla tactics when you start out. Right? How, old, how old are you, Jason? 35? 34. 34. Oh, yeah. You're so young. old. Most of the people listening are older than you. Uh, I just. Yeah. Back in your day. 
back in my day, <laughs> back when, back when the iPhone was new and, and the Google's and the YouTube came out. Yeah. When I was a kid, That's not that weird. far back, but what was happening in 2012? I don't even know. I don't know. Amnesia. Just two old guys. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, you grinded, you know, you hustled and, and uh, you grinded hard. Yeah. I think guerrilla marketing is a great thing to do when you're early on and just get scrappy. And, and um, you know, there's an opportunity cost you could argue, but you're not in a position where you're just like allocating capital and sitting back. Oh, yeah. I just spend here and take my Saturday off. And then I don't know, man, you can do that. And there are people who, I mean, I've met a ton of paying contractors that scaled to a million bucks way easier than I did. And uh, that is a great thing. And people should, I did the dumb way and the hard way. Uh, so, but I, I say, th- I still like the guys who get scrappy early and then, and then, you know, once yeah. you earn it, you know, then you can start just spending and seeing what works and, and work with someone who can track your marketing with you and uh, yeah. find out where you stack your chips. But yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think there are a couple of good, great points there. One is I think I'm a big believer that if if you're doing something entrepreneurial, you will succeed if you don't quit. The only way you fail is if you quit. Yeah. And and that seems to large, I mean, that's that's always the mantra I've taken um, when things have been difficult. And I think it, it sounds a lot like uh, the mantra you, you took because obviously you didn't quit and things sounded incredibly difficult. And then the other thing is another statistic, just generalist, statistic is only 3% of your target market is ready to buy at any given time. Meaning for you, you'd have to knock on a hundred doors and maybe three people would maybe consider getting a, a quote from you. About the ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot of people I think telling you to go away. To that consistency piece too. It's like, oh, I knocked on every door already in my target neighborhoods that I want to work. Do it five more times. Like, yeah. Knock it again. Well, yeah. some people are going to be upset and annoyed. Um, running a business may not be for you. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, gonna, if you're too worried gonna, about that. If you're uh, yeah. worried about someone being annoyed and upset with you, you honestly, you might, might be better if you go work for a painting company and try and become a project manager or a sales rep, or even a production lead. Like those are great positions to have. You're probably not on, you're probably not going to survive as a business owner because this is not the first time that you're gonna have to do something that's uncomfortable right yeah so yeah it's a great buckle up yeah you're you're going to extend yourself one way or another and probably a lot of ways and if you end up having to let go of employees and you've never had to do that before hard discussion a lot of hard yeah or you hold accountability Mm -hmm. you're afraid to hold accountability because now your friends won't like you anymore or you have a hard time you know having a hard conversation with a client because well, what if they don't think that I'm a good company anymore? Um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do a lot of hard things. Now I will also say I'm not the best at everything. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I found that out quickly in a couple of those cases that I, that I talked about. And we hired a president, uh, who took over and runs Paris, Paris painting, right. And mm-hmm. Paris painting has done much better with him as president than if I were president. Right. So I'm mm-hmm. like, not preaching. I'm not like, high and mighty telling people stuff. It's just like, that was my experience as well. Like there are things that I was the bottleneck and the cap on of being like the business president, right? Business owner. And now I've stepped back and I'm just shareholder ownership, right? And so let let the team run the company. And you found people who who were stronger in areas where you were weak and you you were 
able to delegate. You were able to get yourself so out of the way. I, would, I thought I was great. <laughs> I, oh. I'm like, oh, I'm a great sales rep. And, yeah. I, and I would say I was good. I, as when you found a company, you kind of have to be good at everything. So you have to be yeah. irrationally confident, uh, very, very gritty, and then a generalist of all things. And uh, if you're not a good generalist of all things, there's going to be a big enough hole somewhere that's going to, you know, uh, you might want to co-found at that point. Yeah. You're going to have, yep. Yep. So um, that is a challenge. Now, what you're not typically is all those things and also hyper-specialized in more than one or two areas. Right. So I'm a great founder, generalist, gritty, confident, uh, good at most things. Not hyper-specialized in sales management. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Micah, our VP of sales, my goodness, he has been gifted in that, right? He is very, very good at leading a sales team. Um, he could not start a company, right? Mm-hmm. He could not found a business. And he's very aware of that. We tried that with him. We tried to start Paris washing with him as a general manager, did not go well. And <laughs> uh, we shut that down after one quarter. And uh, he's but then he, so he got humbled quite a bit. And now he's, now he's performing extremely well as our VP of, of sales. Same thing with marketing, right? I think I've got a pretty good marketing mind, maybe mm-hmm. eh, not, not actually that good, but okay. Nate, my goodness yeah, is like a marketing savant. It's insane. Yes. Same thing with being the president of a company. I think I'm a pretty good president. I can, I'm a pretty, I think I'm a pretty good leader. I can run meetings. Well, I can establish a vision. I can hold people accountable. I understand saying a lot of different things. My goodness, if you've met Alex, he is like, I would not want anybody else running a company that I own. Right? Yeah. Insane. Uh, and I could go down and down the list. Eric's our, our CFO. I like spreadsheets a lot. He is on a whole nother level than me, right? He's Lives our on. CFO. That's like all he does. It's the way that he handles our finances are beyond my ability by a factor of five. I was going to say 10, but I'll just say five because I think I'm pretty good. Give yourself some credit. Yeah. So yeah. Just acknowledging like you are, you're a founder. You're good at most things. You're likely hyper, hyper specialized in one or two things, but not everything. Right. And, and if you want your business to continue to thrive, you have to be humble enough to step out of those things that are not your gifting. Yeah. Put the right people in the right seats. So do you, do you have any, um, thoughts as to how the painting industry is likely to change over the next 10 years? Well, I'll just always start by saying, if I knew, I'll start by saying, I don't know, right? Cause I just need to be humble in that. Um, but the hypothesis would be, I think it's going to professionalize. I don't mm-hmm. think this little sneaky secret's going to last very long. I think you will see obviously the continuing trends of more technology. I mean, the the consumer preferences continue to change and the trends that trends that are there for what people prefer are different than they were 10 10 years ago. But I think the industry in of itself will go through its professional renaissance probably on the later end of 10 years out. If you really look at that type of a high time horizon right now, there's no realization of equity build in businesses, but it's very uncommon. It's very uncommon that someone sells a painting company uh, and they're able to either retain a portion of that business or um, have their passive income, you know, outstrip their liabilities in life, right? That's, that's pretty uncommon. People will sell their company for their equipment and their client list, basically, um, or sometimes for their guys, 
for, you know, once in a blue moon for a little bit of cash, but Mm -hmm. by and by and large, they're not, people are not realizing the equity build of what they've embarked on because they haven't really built uh, an asset that people are interested in buying. Mm. I don't think that's going to last, last long um, as companies professionalize. And I think that is part of what's going to drive really, really bright minds into the industry is that liquidity of equity. And when yeah. people see that, you know, it's pretty fun to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's great. Like that's a good lifestyle business. You own a great job. But, mm-hmm. You know, one, if, let's say you make $300,000 a year as a, you run a good, successful little company. That's a great job that you own, right? Yeah. You also own the company, but it doesn't really distribute profits because you're taking all the cash, right? Yeah. Right. As, and that, that might be what it costs to do everything that you do, right? To have be a president, primary sales driver, production manager, uh, CFO, those kind of things, right? It's hard to recruit people to really want to do that when they can go. This is what's been happening. Like one of the things that happens like, like go, people can go start a brewery, build it for three to five years and then sell either part or all of it to Budweiser mm-hmm. right? for millions of dollars. Right. It's like, Oh yeah, you made, maybe they took like 60,000, 60, 80 K salaries every year. But then when they sold it for 20 million, Oh, they're making like $5 million a year. Right. It's yeah. Like a good deal. So I think that kind of business building where people have the opportunity to realize equity in a partial um, or full sale is going to be much more of a conversation in 10 years than it is right now. Right now, it's not even a concept that's out there. We talk to painting contractors. It's not a thought they have. It's not something that they're aware of. Um, Yeah, I certainly want to have a part in moving that needle to say, this is an option. This This is something that happens. And there is a way to build an asset that can sustain distributions to a minority founder shareholder if, if that's the path they want to choose. And that's, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, Jason, I want to ask you just one last question. I know I've taken up a lot of your time today. I appreciate uh, this great insight that you've shared with us. Do you have any other advice for painting company owners who are listening who are like, man, I, I would love to be making over $10 million in revenue one day at my painting company. Yeah, you know, I think we covered some good things. One of it is being open-minded, um, have that humility to ask questions and hear something that is not what you believe. Um, be willing to step out of the way when appropriate. You are not God's gift in every area of your business. And, uh, and um, that's just a, those, so those kind of two things would be one and number two. And man, I would encourage people too. This is a great industry. Like we are, I also want to say Paris painting was started and it's just had the tailwinds of a great economy ever since. So there's a reality of that, right? When COVID hit, there was a little dip in the economy overall, but the trades did not get hammered at all. If anything it was the opposite, we got boosted. So I've certainly been lucky um, in that regards, no doubt, but yeah, the advice would be be open-minded, be humble enough, uh, seek out resources and help from others don't do it the hard way. Like I did getting at least started. Uh, I'm a big fan of the painter painting contractors association. So you had mentioned that's where I serve as chair of the board. Um, it's a phenomenal nonprofit for the benefit of painting contractors. It's underwritten by all major four major paint suppliers. So Sherm Williams, Benjamin Moore, PPG paint and bear all donate so that we can 
so they can underwrite a lot of initiatives and programs that we do, as well as we have plenty of other sponsors that help support uh, as well. So I'd say utilize that as a resource. That's something that's very low cost. It's underwritten. It's a nonprofit. So utilize that. Um, yeah, just reach out to others, take advice. And I, there's just also really not everyone's going to be over $10 million. So find the best life path that fits for you. And um, yeah, just enjoy the journey. I don't know what else to say about it. Jason, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.